This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to you. It's great to be back. I know many of you are still away on holiday if you're listening to us far away, whether it's Cape Town, Plet, or even further afield across the oceans. It's wonderful to have all of you listening and spend some time together listening to the Parsha, talking about the Parsha, enjoying the Parsha, and more importantly, listening in a way that the Parsha teaches us something in our personal lives. It's not enough simply to, well, know the Parsha, to know the Torah. We have to understand the general message that it speaks to the Jewish people as a whole, to the entire world as a whole, and of course the individual message. It talks to me, and a person, when studying the Torah, particularly the Parsha, and those who have the custom to uh, study one portion every single day, one of the seven portions every single day, to try and glean from that something which is personal. We know ourselves, we understand ourselves, we understand our qualities, our shortcomings. And we know what we have to do. And when we listen to the Parsha with our inner ear, with our listen to the Parsha, with that dimension of listening that touches our hearts and souls, it's altogether different because not only have we heard the Parsha, but we've learned from the Parsha. We've learned something personal and hopefully have the strength and courage and the ability to make a change, to somehow escalate our lives, to make it, well, better by degrees or perhaps sometimes with a giant leap but the point is from time to time we have to listen to the words of Torah and to see how it talks to us personally in our personal lives it's a special Shabbos and the reason it's a special Shabbos is because not only it's a new Parsha it's a whole new book we start the second book of the five books of the Torah the five books of Moses and the second one of course is called Seferber Shmot Shmot meaning names. However, our sages refer to this parsha in a different way. They call it Sefer Hagaula, the book of redemption, hence the name Exodus, with which many people are familiar. And one wonders why we call it Shmot, why in fact the entire parsha, the entire book, is under the general heading, as we often talk about, the general name, is something which affects each and every single portion, not only of that parsha, but in this instance of the entire book of Shmot, the entire book of Exodus, What's that relationship? And it opens up, of course, mentioning the names of the children of Yaakov, the tribes, but that's not enough. We have to understand the inner dimension of the names and how it relates to the particular Pasha and to the overall book of Exodus. And it's not only the names that intrigue us at the beginning of the Parsha. We begin to see a particular aspect of behavior in the relationship of host nations to ourselves, which has been repeated so many times throughout history, and that is a new king arises, a new leader arises, and he doesn't remember, he doesn't know Joseph. Joseph is the individual who guided this country through most of difficult economic times, a time of great hunger. There was very little, almost nothing. And Joseph, through his ability to understand how to plan, how to provide, he had the divine insight, not only to somehow interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, but to give him advice at a highest level as to how to ensure that you take advantage of the seven good years, the seven fruitful years, and you provide for the seven difficult years for years of famine, and he and his brothers added tremendously to the economy of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. What happens after a while? They die. What happens after that? A new leader gets up and says, listen here, 
These people who came here as a minority, came here as guests in our country, they have multiplied, they have grown, they now occupy a tremendous influence in terms of the economy and beyond. They will ultimately overwhelm us, and this is why we have to do something something dramatic. It doesn't decide to drive them out of the land, it simply decides to enslave them. Here is a huge population of people that can be enslaved, and this is precisely what they do to the Jewish people time and again throughout Jewish history. We've experienced a similar thing. First of all, host nations, well, they invite the Jewish people. They want the Jewish people to come to their countries, to come to their economies, and to enhance those economies, because after all, the Jews do just that. They have the ability, they have the tenacity, they have the strength to somehow create a tremendous excitement within economy. But after a while, the host nation says, "Uh uh-uh, this is not what we really want, and they throw them out. Or they decide to destroy them, as we've seen time and again. And each and every time they do something like that, ultimately that society fails. It fails economically, it fails politically, it fails socially. Take a look at history, take a look at the great occupiers of the world, the great empire builders of the world, whether it was Mitzrayim, Egypt at the time, whether it's it's Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome or Germany and Machshima. Time and again we see that particular situation where the Jewish people, through their devotion to things that better the lives of everyone within that society, somehow create this terrible, terrible reaction. And the people say, out with you, either we destroy you or we throw you out. And this is something which we've become used to. This has become a pattern that is familiar. This has become a pattern which is synonymous with Jewish history. But let's get back to Elish Shemot. Let's get back to the name. Let's talk about the name for a moment. These are the names. And we're not only talking about the names. We're talking about the names of the Jewish people, Haba Imitzraimah, that came down to Egypt. Now, some of the commentaries point out that the name is something which is rather superficial. It's a handle, so to speak, through which and by which others can, well, address you or identify you or call you or relate to you when you call somebody's name that individual responds reacts turns around a name is something which enables us to reach out to others in order to communicate and it's something which is rather external and this is what some of the commentaries some of our mystical commentaries point out that it was only the names that went into egypt there was only the names the most external dimension of the jewish people that were enslaved, but the inner dimension of the Jewish people, the hearts and souls at a higher level, were never enslaved. And this is the Elishmot, but we go beyond that as well, because we know names is not only something which is superficial, but in actual fact, it's something which is very essential to the core of our own being, and this is why we are told, our sages tell us, that there is a form of prophecy that enters the minds of parents in order to give their children proper names. And because of this prophecy, they need this prophecy because they have to identify the core, the essence of their child and give that child a proper name. By the way, this is why it's so important that when we name children, we name them after somebody that deserves to be named, either biblical names or family names, but not to look around and say what's popular, what in fact are the names that are popular today, and we give children such absurd names, and you can identify children from specific 
times of the of well the decade of the millennia that this name was popular in the 1800s this name was popular in the 1900s this uh, name was popular in the 50s the 60s etc and we give children the most ridiculous name something that has nothing at all to do with who and what they are but because they are popular we tend to give those names when in actual fact we should allow that inner dimension of prophecy to guide us because a child is something which is unbelievably precious. And a child is not only a plaything for parents, it's something which ultimately will become a choosing, functioning human being in a mature sort of state. And this is why the name is so very important. And because of that, we ask the question, it's not only the names on the most external level of the Jewish people that went down in Egypt, because the name ultimately is connected to the very core, to the very essence of the individual. And this is why the core and the individual went down to Mitzrayim and to slavery as well. What is that all about? And in actual fact, as we go through the opening, well, sentences and paragraphs of the Parsha, we begin to see that the story of the slavery is told to us rather quickly. Yes, it's told to us in some brutal terms, the, how they punished us, how they hurt us, the tyranny, the the absolute, well, behavior of our enemy against ourselves when they enslaved us. They did some terrible things, but nonetheless, the story is told rather quickly. The bulk of the Parsha deals with the redemption of the Jewish people, the birth of Moshe Moses, his development, his growth, we'll talk about that soon, and of course it leads on to the next Parsha and to the next, which speak about Geulah, which speak about redemption, which speak about, well, the ultimate exodus, the exodus from Egypt, and relates as well to the ultimate exodus soon in our time, please God, with the coming of Mashiach. And this is why when we hear the word Shemot, when we hear the word names, we have to understand that within the context of exile, what does it mean within the context of exile? But more importantly, what it means within the context of redemption, because redemption is in fact what the bulk of the Parsha is all about. And when we come back, we'll talk about that, but for now. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about names, we're talking why the parsha is called Shemot, the names, why in fact the entire book, the second book of the Torah, is called the names, Ve'el Shemot. And we talked about that names ta- reach the, well, superficial levels of the individual, but touch the very core, the very essence of the individual as well. And this is something which makes for authenticity, an integral person. Authenticity means that there is no, well, falsehood contained within a situation. The core and that which is external are one and the same. And this is something which we have to understand in terms of human integrity and human authenticity. We somehow have to develop ourselves to such a point that the core of our beings, our soul, and the external dimension, the name on the outside, on the superficial level of our lives, are one in the same. Who we are and what we are is consistent throughout the entire integrity of the human condition. Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our action, our ability to use our intellect, our emotions, whatever the case might be, all of these are consistent. And while, of course, this is a tremendously difficult 
level to achieve and a tremendously high level. Nonetheless, this is what integrity is all about. And this is what the Shemot is all about. How do we handle exile? Exile is exceptionally difficult, not only physically. If we take a look at the Parsha, how they embittered the lives of the Jews, how they enslaved the Jews, how they gave them the most menial and insulting tasks, how they broke their hearts, their spirit, their souls, their bodies. It was a crushing, crushing experience that lasted for hundreds of years. How do you survive something like that? How do you somehow come out of the other end and you're able to say, here I am, I am ready for redemption. I am ready for Geula. I am ready for salvation. How do you somehow come to that point? How come it doesn't crush you? How come it doesn't break you to the point where there's nothing left? And the answer, of course, is as long as an individual is working hard at somehow bringing together the external dimensions of his life and the essential elements of his core. He works at being a total and complete person. This enables one to survive the difficulties of exile. And how does one do that? This comes about through the recognition that the core of the individual is, in fact, a chelik It's part and parcel of God himself. This is what our sages tell us. Our soul is not merely something which gives us life, which animates the body, which enables us to have the senses of intellect, the powers of intellect, the power of emotion, and the various senses that we possess. The core of our being, our soul, is connected directly and essentially with God. It's something which creates a dimension of great faith, and faith brings with it incredible dimensions of hope. Hope is something which is consistent with Jewish survival. Without hope, we would have been lost a long time ago. And the question is, how do we retain that hope? It's not a false hope. It's not a blind hope. It's a deep recognition that God enables us to go through this experience, ultimately we'll understand the purpose. It's not merely being punished or not merely God putting us through difficulties, whatever the case might be. We will ultimately understand why, in fact, we have to go through, and we had to go through, the incredible difficulties of the many exiles that we've experienced. The first one, of course, being the one in Egypt. They were enslaved for hundreds of years. But when they came out, what did they receive? They stood at Sinai, ultimate revelation, they received the Torah from God. And at that point, not only did they receive the Torah from God, this great gift of divine wisdom, something which touches the very life of the Jewish people and guides them through every single aspect of their lives, every single detail, every single behavior and dimension of their lives. It was not only that, although that is an exceptionally high level, it also contained an insight. They began to understand why it was necessary for them as a people to go through the experience of Galut Mitzrayim, the exile of Egypt. They began to understand it wasn't God was simply punishing them because they didn't do anything wrong in order to be punished. They did nothing wrong. God said in order for you to ultimately be able to receive the Torah, for the world to receive the Torah, you have to somehow descend into the incredible darkness and yes, pain of of Galut, the pain of exile as personified in the story of the Parsha, the opening paragraphs of this Parsha, how the Jewish people had to go through the most terrible 
and terrible experiences because by working through the negativity at that level, you bring purpose to the world, you create light in the world, you transform those dimensions of darkness. Yes, when you go through difficulty and you retain your faith and you retain your hope and you commit yourself to the fulfillment of God's Torah, to the fulfillment of God's mitzvot, His commandments, what you are doing is not only enduring difficulty, you are bringing tremendous levels of powerful energy, of divine energy into the ultimate darkness. This is the world that God created. God created a world of great opposites, great opportunity, and yes, great difficulty as well. This is the concept of a challenge. The concept of a challenge is somehow you bring out from within yourself far greater and far more powerful levels of energy, of strength. You have incredible abilities. Somehow they lie dormant. When you are tested, when you are challenged, you are forced to somehow bring out those inner dimensions on so many different levels. When a person is intellectually challenged, you begin to realize that you have a brain you're able to understand, to reason, to analyze, to investigate, to come to a conclusion, to come to an answer. Otherwise, sometimes your brain becomes stagnant, it becomes slow, it does nothing. It simply goes through the motions of life. How much more so with our soul, with our faith, with our hope, when we are challenged, then somehow we have the strength and the courage and the ability to draw out from those incredibly powerful dimensions and energies into a consciousness of behavior, into a consciousness of life. And this is what happened in Galut Mitzrayim. Yes, they were exposed to the incredible darkness of Egypt and all that it represents, but nonetheless the Jewish people come out as a strong people, as a people who are ultimately prepared, and not only prepared, but do receive the Torah, the incredible revelation at Sinai, which brings about a total transformation in the world, and a transformation in their own lives. And this is something that we have to understand, whether it's a general national collective exile or a personal difficulty that we go through, it's there to bring out greater strengths. And yes, in the fullness of time, we begin to understand that when we are challenged, we think to ourselves, what is happening? Why are these things happening? At the same time, in order to experience Geula, in order to experience redemption and salvation, you have to have the name as well. Because the name is ultimately something which enables you to understand what in fact redemption is all about and how to experience that redemption. It's not only enough to be freed from the chains of slavery, as we well know, but the chains of slavery often remain long after nations have somehow been liberated. True liberation to freedom comes from within. And there too, again, the name from within comes to the external dimensions of the name that exists on a superficial level. And that is the integrity, the integrity of knowing, of understanding, the experience of exile and the experience of redemption. And this is what this book is all about. Whatever part it is, whether it's the actual story of crossing the Sea of Reeds, whether it's the story of Revelation, whether it's the story of the challenges the Jewish people had, whether it's building the Mishkan, the 
house of God, whether it's building the vessels, etc., etc., etc. All of that deals with one concept coming from darkness into light, coming from exile into redemption, coming from a situation of overwhelming restriction to one which is eternal and limitless and something which brings us to an altogether different level. And this is why it's the names. It's not only because the superficial dimension of the Jewish people went into exile. The very essence went into exile. And it's that very essence that enables us to understand the purpose, to live through that purpose, and not despite, but in spite of that situation. We grow, we develop, we change, we become better, we elevate ourselves. We become creatures deserving of total and complete redemption. And this is what the beginning of the Parsha is all about. Right at the first word, the Eilishmos, these are the names. What names? Yes, of course, the portion is going to talk to us about the names of the tribes, the sons of Jacob, the great men who became the head of tribes of the Jewish people. But it's it's the names, the external name and the internal core of our name that gives us the strength, the ability, the wisdom to go through situations of difficulty. What's the bulk of the Parsha all about? The bulk of the Parsha is the birth of Moshe, the growth of Moshe, the development of Moshe, certain individual dimensions that give us insight into who and what Moshe is all about. Because at the end of the day, what is Moshe's greatness? Yes, he's a great prophet. We've spoken about this so many times in the past. He's a great prophet. He is devoted to God. He is one individual who has incredible wisdom. He is a man which has incredible dimensions of spiritual energy. But ultimately, what is he? He is a leader. And this Parsha gives us insight into what leadership is all about. Leadership, again, is one of those words which are so abused and used incorrectly. Leader is not only somebody who stands in front of the line. Leader is not only the individual that's voted into power. Leadership means something altogether different. There has to be a tremendous range of qualities that enable one to be a leader. And this is something that we see in Moshe from the moment of birth onwards. From the moment of birth, wherever he was, there was light. Even though he was a baby, he was a child, he was an infant. Nonetheless, he brings a light. And as our sages tell us, in terms of great people, even when they are infants, even when they are children, one begins to recognize and see dimensions of greatness, dimensions of huge energy. What's the first thing we see? He grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. He grows up in relative comfort. He comes from the tribe of Levi that were never enslaved. He comes from a very important family in the Jewish community. He is taken care of by the princes, none other than the princes, the daughter of Pharaoh himself. But what does he do? He goes out to see the plight of his brethren. He doesn't live in the lap of luxury. He doesn't simply say to himself, well... What's it all about? I have been dealt a very good hand. I, through a coincidence or through my good fortune or good luck, this is where I am now. He leaves the walls of the palace and he goes out to see what his brethren are doing. And what does he see? He sees an Egyptian, well, an Egyptian tyrant beating another Jew. And he says to himself, this cannot be. 
and he takes upon himself the responsibility of killing that Egyptian because that Egyptian was guilty of capital punishment. What is Moshe all about? We see Moshe not only as an infant that brings light to the world, he's an individual who stands up for the rights of others and is prepared to do whatever it takes in order to ensure that those rights are protected. He will protect his brethren. He sees his brethren in situations of great difficulty and he rises to the occasion. He says to himself, despite of the fact that I live in comfort, despite of the fact that I have access to the royal household, none other than the palace himself, the daughter of Pharaoh is my benefactor. What does he say? He says to himself, I will deal with the needs of my people. Again, what do we see over here? A tremendous dimension of leadership. Leadership is not something which is selfish. Leadership is not something which is self-serving. Leadership is not something which says, well, I am better and higher than most. Leadership means having the ability to go out and to address the needs of people and the courage to act with tremendous bravery and dramatic dramatic dimension in order to bring about the justice and goodness and that which is beneficial to others. This is what leadership is all about, but that's not where it stops. He has to flee for his life because he is now threatened. He killed one of the guards of the Egyptian army or the Egyptians who were the, well, those individuals who were taskmasters, slave masters, and he has to run for his life and he runs to the home of one who ultimately becomes his father-in-law, Jethro. And it's over there that he becomes a shepherd. And what is a shepherd? A shepherd is an individual who lives in relative solitude. He lives in a situation where he is away from the madding noise. He is in a situation of being isolated, which means achieving levels of incredible height spiritually away from the influence of negativity that sometimes the urban world presents. He is an individual who lives in the fields. He lives in the pastures. He looks after his animals, again, looking after the animals, again, a dimension of leadership, a disability of looking into himself. And all great leaders need that. Every great leader, despite of the fact of how popular you might be, They need time. They need moments. They need whole sections of time of their lives when they go off on their own and are able to contemplate what, in fact, they're all about and to consider what, in fact, the world needs. But more of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the bulk of the Parsha. The bulk of the Parsha deals with the fact that Moshe emerges as the leader. God chose Moshe for a variety of reasons, not only because God gave him particular abilities and skills and levels of spirituality, levels of intellectual dimension, levels of emotional strength. It's because he exercises a number of traits, a number of qualities which reflect well upon what leadership should be. First and foremost, the ability to stand up and to reach out to those who are less fortunate and to put your life on the line for justice, for decency, for correctness, to stand up, to have the courage of believing in that which you stand for. A leader has to understand at all times that basically what he is, is a servant of the people. And as a servant of the people, he is duty-bound to take care of his people. This is his first and foremost obligation. What's the second dimension? The second dimension is the way he treats his sheep with tremendous care. The younger sheep, the older sheep, 
feeding them in the right time with the right food, a tremendous sense of care, not only for the flock generally, but for each specific individual within that group. This is what leadership is all about. Leadership is not sitting back and somehow taking care of things at long distance and things will come. No, you have to spend time understanding the needs of the people and the needs of the people are not universal. The needs of the people can vary and change from group to group to individual to individual and the true leader in every sense of the word and the true leader has to understand the composite of the people that he leads and somehow to address the needs of each and every one. Not to pass laws that somehow impose a particular type of attitude upon everybody, but rather to understand the need to recognize difference, to recognize individuality, to recognize that ultimately through the particular contribution that each and every single individual makes, you somehow come to the overall wholeness of what the community is all about. And this is true about leaders of countries. This is true about leaders of communities. The ability to see what individual needs. You take it from a very simple point of view. You run a community. You have individuals. This individual needs this type of attention. That individual needs a different type of attention. You see there's a leader within family. This child needs this particular type of approach. Another child needs another type of approach. You don't impose one blanket rule on everybody and say this is the way it's going to to be because all you will do is frustrate everybody. A leader has to be prepared to exhaust himself, recognizing differences and to apply different types of approach and concern to those different types of personalities and situations. Another dimension of leadership, the story of the burning bush. What's the story of the burning bush? He sees a phenomenon. He sees something strange. He sees something which is not consumed by fire. Now, he's seen a great many miracles. He's not impressed by miracles of that dimension and that nature. But he sees something which tells him the fact that I have encountered something. He turns to it. He turns to it and says, let me investigate. A leader has to understand that certain phenomena is something that he has to consider and understand and move away from his comfort zone, from his position of leadership, and to move toward that new revelation that he is experiencing and try to understand what, in fact, am I being told. A leader has to know, yes, from time to time you have to move. You have to move away from a particular position that you've taken and see something greater, something of far greater benefit to the people, to somehow move away from the trodden path and to take the bold step take the bold step of seeing greater things and taking those greater things and bringing it to your people in a way that they can appreciate and understand. But perhaps one of the most important dimensions of leadership is the ability to recognize that no matter how great you are, perhaps you're somebody who's better than you. And this is why in every single situation, again, whether it's political or otherwise, if it's a person who fights who does all sorts of deals in order to achieve his position of leadership. If it's a person whose great ambition in life is to be a leader, by and large, I assure you, that individual will never be a great leader. A great leader, strangely enough, although it might sound like a contradiction in terms, a great leader doesn't want to lead. 
A great leader is a person of profound, powerful dimensions of humility. A person who is a great leader understands shortcomings. And Moshe, Moshe was the most humble of people because he recognized what happens if somebody else was given these opportunities and given these gifts of life. Would they have done a better job with their choices? Moshe is of Mikal Adam. He is the most humble of all people. He is the one who speaks to God daily. He is the one who delivers the people from Egypt. He is the one who brings down the Torah, but he is the one who is most humble because ultimately a leader has to be enticed and begging. This is why God himself, time and again, turns to Moshe and says, no, you are the one that I'm choosing to be a leader. And Moshe tries this way and that way and the other way, not because he wants to shirk responsibility, not because he doesn't want the mantle of leadership, not because he doesn't want the position of authority, because it makes so many demands upon him. The yoke of leadership, in fact, is very difficult. That's not it. It's because he's humble. And a leader above all, and I assure you, great leaders can be found in dark corners where individuals don't herald their own qualities and make all sorts of, well, sometimes unholy deals, deals with the devil, in order to become leaders. But perhaps the greatest one of all, and this is why it's at the end of the sedra. The greatest one of all is the preparedness for a leader to actually put himself in great spiritual danger by debating with God. He comes to God and he says at the end of the Parsha, why have you brought such difficulty upon this people? How does he do something like that? There is no man of greater faith than Moshe. Moshe understands what, in fact, the purpose of enslaving the Jewish people is all about. He knows that ultimately they will walk to Sinai and receive the Moshe knows all these things. Yet he turns to God with a tremendous question, a painful question, why have you done this? And Moshe does this not only because he wants the answer, of course he wants the answer at a higher level, which he will get in this coming Parsha of next week, but because Moshe is prepared to do anything and everything in order to protect his people and to take care of his people. This is what Moshe is all about. Moshe is all about being a leader in the fullest sense of the word. Doesn't run for cover. As brave, as courageous, as strong, recognizes individual, has tremendous dimensions of humility, the ability to ponder the, well, unnatural, and at the same time to question God on behalf of his people, so that his people will receive the answer which they deserve in order to somehow come through the situations of difficulty that they experience. And this is why this is an incredibly important Parsha, not only because it's the first Parsha of a new book. Of course it's important because of that. It's not only a Parsha that speaks about redemption. Slavery is told to us, well, basically in short sentences, and the story of Moshe, the story of Revelation, which will carry on for a number of weeks now, is greater detail, not only greater detail, infinitely greater detail. It's not important only because of that. It's because we get insight into who we are by recognizing what leaders have to do for us. And this is why this Parsha is so important to listen to and listen to carefully. I say this every week because, strangely enough, Torah is infinite. And the infinity of Torah's greatness is apparent and visible in every single dimension. But again, over here we see we are privileged to see the birth of a leader, the development of greatness. And individually emerges and becomes 
the powerful person that he does. And power not for the sake of power. And power not for the sake of whatever benefit power might bring. It's power in order to serve, in order to be a leader, in the truest sense of the word, to be a servant of the people. And this is why he has the courage to go out seek justice and to have the courage to do that which is necessary and to have the courage to question God as well. Listen carefully to the Parsha tomorrow. Listen to every single word. And as I said earlier on at the beginning of the show, listen to each and every single word because it has a message for you. Each and every one of us, smaller or greater ways, but each and every one of us has the capacity for leadership and we act as leaders. Whether among our friends, within our family, we act as leaders and we're seen, each and every single one of us is called upon from time to time to exercise dimensions of leadership. And we take a lesson from the great Neshaposha to understand how to best apply those great dimensions of life. It's an important Parsha. Listen to it carefully and make sure you hear the lesson that pertains to your particular dimension. Good job.